Hi, I'm Justin Hayat, and this is 36. The Lamed Vav Siddiquim is a tale built on the idea that out there in the universe, somewhere in the far corners of the world, there are 36 anonymous, really good people who hide in the shadows but step forward when we need them most. In 2020, somehow, I managed to get on a plane to Israel to find out more about these secret souls and hear their stories. This is my journey to find wonder and goodness in our once magical world. I used to be an idealist, blissfully trapped somewhere in the cold of university life of upstate New York. And then I moved to Manhattan, the perfect environment for my idealism to fade, my optimism to depart on an extended vacation, and my pessimism to move right on in. When I meet idealists in the world, I try to deconstruct them and their journeys, and try to play out how the world will eventually react to them. I should stop, but if I'm being honest, and you know me, I simply can't help myself. In search of the blissfully ideal, the shadow forces of good, I stumbled upon Josh Drill and Yuval Perry, two former lone soldiers whose stories walked right into my apartment. They came to share their story of idealism, the world that meets it, and the relentless pursuit to turn the ideal into something real. This is my conversation with Josh Drill and Yuval Perry. I'm sitting here with two young Americans who moved to Israel years ago, Josh Drill and Yuval Perry. Thanks so much for joining. Thank, Thank you. you. Good morning. Where are you guys from and how the hell did you get to <laughs> be living here? And both of you, if you, if people passed you on the streets, probably would assume that you were born here. You both fit in nicely here. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm originally from New Jersey. And pretty much yeah, after high school, I moved to Israel. I did a pre-army program and enlist, enlisted into the army. I was in Egoz, which is a special force unit, and then an officer. Both of us were officers. I live here in Tel Aviv now. Yeah. Uh, my name is Yuval. I was born in Israel. I grew up in uh, Vegas to Israeli parents. And I also did the same pre-army program, not with Josh, but different different place, same year. Made Aliyah, drafted. I was in Balsar um, Nachal, which is also a special unit within Nachal. And then uh, officer as well, got released two years ago. And now uh, living also in Tel Aviv. So how old are each of you and how long were you in the army? So I'm currently 25 years old. I was in the army for four years. I'm wow. almost 25 and I think almost five years. Yeah, nearly five years. So you both, you went straight from high school, gap year, pre-army year, and then straight into the army each for five, four-ish years. Yeah. yeah. Why did you do that? Well, that's actually a good question. It's a question that I get asked a lot. And I think that every single time I could just give a different answer. Because there isn't one real answer. But what I would say is that growing up in Jewish community in New Jersey, going to Jewish camp and school, Israel is always a very hot topic. I always felt that Israel was my true home while I was living in America. Coming on trips here, I always felt a very strong connection. And I, if the whole world is a plot, I would say, is, is a story, I would say that Israel for me is like the real plot. It's the place where I want to be. It's the place where the story is happening. I want to be here and an influence from within and not in America and go to rallies and parades. I just think that going to the place where it's happening and influencing from the place itself is, is the most powerful. Uh, yeah, so very similar to Josh. I grew up very, uh, like I said, to Israeli parents. So I grew up very Jewish and Israeli within within the home. 
And all my family were enlisted. All my family did service. My father fought in major Israeli wars. So that's kind of like how I grew up. And we would visit every year, every summer. And then like I just made a decision. I was around 15, 16 that I wanted to live here. I didn't make a decision I wanted to enlist in the army. I was like, I want to live here. And then, you know, you put two and two together and you realize if you want to live here, you have to be part of the culture, part of the, the nature, which is being in the military. So it was like kind of just a decision that led to a decision. And it was in the end very easy for me to make the decision to enlist. Uh, and it was probably the best decision I made. Wow. You're fighting for money for lone soldiers. So I'll start by explaining the issue by just telling our personal stories. The three of us got out of the army. So who's the third guy? Avidan, is a, he's a, he lives in Beersheva and he has a, a lot of tests. So the three of us were released from the army and were told by friends a year after the fact that we are no longer receiving our benefit of rental assistance from the Ministry of Housing, which is 400 shekels a month, which we should be getting. Now, why were we not receiving this money? The reason is, is that during our army services, we each received, all Olim Chadashim, all new immigrants, received during the army service 400 shekels a month. Now, this money is meant for your army service. And additionally, the day that a lone soldier gets out of the army, they are supposed to continue getting this money for a period of five years. Now, what the Ministry of Housing does is instead of just continuing to pay this money to the recently released lone soldiers, they actually freeze the benefit. Now, in order for the released lone soldier to continue getting this money, they need to, A, understand that they are no longer receiving the money and that they are still supposed to be getting the money. And then number two, find a way to reach the Ministry of Housing, get to the correct department, and make an application to continue getting this money. The reality is thousands of released loan soldiers are not receiving thousands of shekels that they deserve. 400 shekels a month for a period of five years is around 24,000 shekels, which means that a lone soldier who got released from the army never knew this. Five years went by, they missed 24,000 shekels that the country owes them. Now, what does the Ministry of Housing do? They do not give the money back retroactively. They only give back three months. So for example, I missed 11,000 shekels in total. I got back 1,200 shekels. Avidan, our friend, he missed three years of this money. He missed out on around 15,000 shekels. This is a disaster. This is really a disaster. Here is a, a, a governmental ministry not doing what they're supposed to. They have to give this benefit. It is their responsibility to make sure that the release on soldiers get it. Now, what was the excuse that they gave us? They said, it's a technical difficulty. While you're in the army, you're on a, a list of lone soldiers. And when you get out of the army, you're no longer on the list and you need to be on the list of new immigrants. So a released lone soldier needs to contact the Ministry of Housing to continue getting money that they need. This was completely preposterous. And the three of us with uh, Karen Aseg, which is a foundation for released lone soldiers, they give scholarships, it's wonderful. We set out and we said, listen, we're gonna, we're gonna fix this issue. So Yuval can, can explain pretty much yeah. what we did and... Josh explained it, I mean, perfectly. The funny thing is, like, we really did, like, deep, deep research about the, the issue. And it was funny to understand the issue was that the Ministry of Housing and IDF were just not in touch, okay? They just not speak with one another. They had some sort of contract between them that they're not allowed to take certain pieces of secretive identification, whatever. And all that we did was literally tell them, hey, guys, be friends. You guys should just talk with one another and give information of soldiers to each department. What do you say? And then that's what they did. And they signed so now it's fixed moving forward? So no, it's actually turned into kind of a, a saga of the Ministry of Housing making promises and then at the end of the day, not doing anything. About a year and a half ago, when we started, there were radio interviews um, and the Ministry of Housing came out with a message saying, we are going to fix this issue. We are going to make what's called automation. 
which is what needs to be, which means that a lone soldier gets released from the army and just continues getting this money. Now, after that happened, after they said that, literally nothing happened, okay? So then about in December, about five, six months ago, we created pretty much a platform. So we realized that, okay, we just have to take this to our, our hands, right? No one's going to do this for us. No one's going to, they can make promises until tomorrow, but we're just like, okay, let's just do it ourselves. That's kind of like how we were taught, right? In the army, like, if nothing happens, do it yourself. Find right? a solution. Find a solution. Like, figure it out, right? People are trusting you. People are, like, are counting on you. So to figure it out. So that's exactly what we did. All we did, we went to some basic technological platform where you can build automation, like, cycles, right? Workflows. So a Sloan soldier would see this form that we made. Simple form. Name, tadzeut, tarikh aliyah, like, aliyah day. Put your information. Automatically, it gets sent to the Ministry of Housing. On the other side of Ministry of Housing, we had a connect there that we told this person, you're about to get emails from uh, lone soldiers that are signing up for this form and take care of it, okay? You have the to that zoot, you have all the information, take care of it. He, she was like, okay, we'll do this. So to our surprise, we were like counting on maybe like 200 people that were going to see our form, 300. Right now, people are still filling out the form. Right, right now, it's like 1,200, 1,300 people. Wow. It just shows that there's a need and that yeah, right. people are hungry. Within, within like two hours, 600 people filled it out. You know, like it was insane. Right. We, we, made a, we made a Facebook post, a picture of the three of us in front of the Karen Aseg house, explaining the issue with a link to this platform. And within an hour, we had like 600 shares. It ended up getting uh, almost 1,000 shares, 400 comments, which each comment is someone tagging someone they know that needs to do this. Yeah. And just we're talking about post. just this platform. We're talking about millions of shekels. Okay, we're talking about millions right. of shekels that are now going to release lone soldiers. But more importantly, strategically, when we actually started meeting in the beginning to plan out what we're going to do, we understood that this solution is just a, it's just a band-aid. Yeah. And we need to have a solution that is going to long stop it, a long-term solution. It's going to be a long-term solution forever. So that in 10 years, a lone soldier will get out of the army, continue getting this money, and he'll never even know there was an issue with this. So you're building a system that the army and the government has been should have built. Exactly, exactly. We're basically doing the job. Like, that's kind of the end of the day. You should be giving this money as the loan source gets released, and we're going to do this job for you. And do they do it? So no. now what happened, we had like a, literally like a, a no. discussion in the Knesset, okay, about our problem with our, the politicians that were helping us out, like a bunch of people. Who was helping you? Uh, Knesset, Alex Kushner. Uh, he kind of like took it, mamash, like when it was really important at the last stages. He really helped us out. So we had a discussion in Knesset with him and all the people from Misada Binui, the relevant people were there. And they're like, yeah, it's going to happen. We're going to do this. And then what actually happened, we got a lot of people contacting us. Hey, I got released and I heard about your, you know, what you guys are doing and I'm not getting the money yet. So we're like, okay, what, why is, you know, what's going on? And then what happened was war and government changing and COVID, you know, like a bunch yeah. of things were happening since then. So now you're teed up to succeed, hopefully. Yeah. Right, so, so, right. So, Strategically, we, we understood we were going we to make this platform to be able to get media coverage. Because after, legitimacy, yeah. right, after, after a lot of uh, discussions about it, we understood that most likely the easiest way to deal with this was to really have it in the media. So after making this platform and after over a thousand release loan soldiers filled out our platform, we were able to enter the media. We had, you know, this was the front page of the Jerusalem Post. And there was articles on Mako and there were articles on Pazam, which is an army... Uh, news company and there were interviews on channel 12 and channel 20 and radio interviews we really we really made a lot of noise and then this allowed us to together uh, to speak in the Knesset about the issue and this really needs to be dealt with now even with all the media noise and even with members of Knesset trying to work on this at the end of the day the Ministry of Housing needs to do this and it's the automation has still not happened currently the reality is 
a lone soldier is released from the army and is, is still not getting this money. So um, we're actually now talking to uh, Benny Gantz, who has committed to help the struggle. And we're really hoping that with his help, we'll, put, we'll be able to put an end to this. Wow. Wow. So and Benny Gantz is the Minister of Defense. Not only are we seeking automation to solve this issue for the future, we're seeking full compensation, which means a lone soldier that missed 24,000 shekels from the Ministry of Housing will get into his retroactively. Account, retroactively 24,000 shekels. And we're talking here about probably around 50 to 70 million shekels. And so there's also value that money can't buy you, right? Money can't buy you going to your grandmother's house and eating, I'm assuming, your Sephardic, no? Uh, part, Tunisian. Okay, yeah. So eating that amazing food. Like, you can't buy that. You know, you can have a Walt, which and the guy's going to call you. He's going to say, I'm outside the building. I can't get into the building. I'm going to come down, whatever. Money can buy you that, but money can't buy you a Tunisian dinner. So, like, at a certain point, what are the limits to what additional money for lone soldiers will do? Money that was promised. There's really two issues to this part. A, is the money. I, I do think that it's the money that will obviously help lone soldiers release lone soldiers. I do think, just importantly, and Miyuval and Avidan, we've spoken about this before, and we really, we really do think that the country just leaving to release lone soldiers, not caring for them, not taking action to deal with them, is a message. Currently, the message is, you're a lone soldier, we're going to care for you. The day you get out of the army, best of luck. And I think that um, we are going to cause this change. We are going to cause this change. And when the change happens, there will be a new message. The message will be, we will deal with you while you're a lone soldier. And when you're after the army, we are going to make sure that you have what you need. And we're going to make sure that you stay in Israel. Because currently, there's a serious issue where around half of lone soldiers after the service are going back to their original homes and not staying in Israel. And I think that it's, it's that message that pushes those back to their homes. I'll add to Josh, there's a much higher goal in a sense of what we're doing, what we're trying to achieve than just simply putting money into someone's bank account. It's a way more holistic vision of what we're trying to get. It's kind of like you left somewhere where it was comfortable for you to somewhere uncomfortable. You did your service, you didn't have to, and now you're living on your own outside of the army, right? Why should these quality people that stepped out of their own comfort zone to come serve a greater cause why should these people get neglected and why can't we keep these people here? Because those people, statistically, they have a higher ashba, a higher effect on the Jewish culture, a Jewish um, tradition to excel, you know, to excel certain aspects of tech or all sorts of stuff. And we should keep them here. And that's like, that's like the pinpoint here, I, I think. So I read a piece maybe like, I don't know, it was a year and a half ago, the amount of like suicide rates from like soldiers in the army. And then also isolated, right, saying lone soldiers, quote unquote, lone soldiers in the army, the suicide rates are very high. There was a piece in Haaretz by Anshel Pfeiffer that basically was like, we should stop trying to get lone soldiers to come here because it makes no sense culturally. We're setting them up for failure. And not only that, they're killing themselves. I read this piece and I was like, this is wrong. This is offensive. But like, it's kind of like a good joke. To every good joke, there's truth. I believe, obviously, that like the lone soldier story is like the most beautiful thing. I connect with it very deeply. I obviously didn't do it, but I have massive respect for people that did. And when I read certain pieces that kind of say this is not make sense and it doesn't mean that their intention is wrong. It just means that we can't keep losing kids to suicide. Tell me and our, our listeners why the ethical, moral, and emotional and Jewish fabric of the army is strengthened by integrating lone soldiers into that DNA. I saw the importance of it when I became an officer. 
not when I was in a soldier. When I became an officer, I had in front of me my first 25, 30 soldiers. And I literally took a moment and I was, I just told them, I didn't say like, you know, like usually you're supposed to come with like some speech and be like super scary, right? And like be like Mr. Macho. But I literally, the first thing I told them, I was like, just look left and right. We have one guy that lives right now and like Yudava Shamwan grew up, barely knows English, doesn't know how to even say English months, right? He only knows like Hebrew months. And you have a guy from the Dominican Republic, I had another guy, American, and I had another guy, uh, past Haridi, and another guy like, you know, from all, all, all sectors, yeah, all Jewish, but from all sectors of, of life, right? And you see how the bond is so much stronger and how they ping pong off one another and how they learn from one another from just this experience, right? So if it was just all Jewish people that grew up, you know, basic, regular cities in Israel, there wouldn't be that same diversity, right, that the army has. And I, I think it's I think it's really important because you see these guys that afterward, the American guys that come either from post-degree or stay in Israel and do a degree and how they affect Israeli, um, the Israeli uh, tech sector, for example, or any other sector. What's the big picture goal beyond getting the soldiers paid? Or is that just the goal? And then you guys go off on your lives and you, you know. Look, my situation as a lone soldier was, it's, a, it's just like facts, right? It was a lot better than, than anybody usually has it, which I'm very appreciative of. It's just like, just the mitziut. It's just like how it is, right? From my reasoning behind it is, I want to help out people that didn't have the same opportunity, right? The people that came here, no family at all, came, landed in Israel, did the army, and now have to figure it out in life and know nothing, barely know Hebrew, barely know the culture. So I want to help these people out, figure out their way like I did. Right now I'm living a great life in Israel. Everything's great, working, studying, like have a scholarship by, from Kelly and Isaac. Everything's like amazing. But there's thousands of others that are coming here and they, they're not getting taken care of, right? They don't have like the... And they'll continue to come here. They're going to continue to come here because of their friends that they saw that had such a great, you know, it's just like a domino effect. So we have to set them up for success and not set them up for failure. So if I had the great opportunity and the great experience, why shouldn't others have it as well, right? Like what makes me different than them? What, that I had, you know, a bit more Israeli culture, a bit more Israeli uh, mentality coming, so I have like a benefit of the doubt? Great, but what about the other people that are coming, right? So it's kind of just like how I was raised about helping the people that are less fortunate. So yeah, that's yeah. kind of like that's kind of like one of the main goals. The, the second one, I would say we wanted to start off with this specific issue, right, in the Ministry of Housing. When you look at it at a broader perspective, there's a lot more issues when it comes to lone soldier benefits. This is just one of them. It was one of the most painful ones, yeah. Uh, but there's a lot more, and there's a lot more to, to work on that would be fixed. And from here on, like after this is getting taken care of, we're going to continue on to take care of other things as well. At what point do you kind of wrestle your idealism with the fact that this is a country that is crippled by bureaucracy on one end, but then on the other end has like an insane private sector that is so efficient and so toughless? How do you balance the, the two? Because the government will never be run like Google. It's well aware that we're a startup nation and within half a year we have more unicorns that we've had than we had the year before and tech is booming and everything's so innovative and everything's so automated and everything's so tech nation, right? Startup nation. So that was literally one of like our first meetings. I remember with the Misada Binu, like Ministry of Housing. We were telling them, how are we startup nation, tech nation? And in the government, we're so like primitive. We're so behind, right? So why is that so hard? The government has the money. It has the capabilities. It has the mind. It has anybody you want from the tech sector to come do innovative stuff within the government. It's not hard. It's just a matter of decision. It's a matter of, and, um, you know. And it's important to say, the three of us, we've already committed. We're not going to stop until the automation happens. What's kind of like one line, motto, 
verse of Talmud, Torah, verse, song that kind of like keeps you going and that sits in the back of your head that you don't really speak about, but like that keeps the oil in your tank going and continuing because I can imagine fighting the bureaucracy is um, the most frustrating thing ever. What keeps you going? Well, it's not necessarily from the Jewish tradition. So I think a sentence that really keeps me going is actually a sentence that my uh, my sister told me. And the sentence is, um, when nothing is sure, anything is possible. And I really think that the sentence has a lot of has a lot of meaning in it because you don't need to know where you're heading, but anything is really possible. And when we started this struggle, the three of us were on the roof of Avidan's apartment. We just started t- kind of talking about what we wanted to do. None of us realized that it would get to this level where we'd be talking to top politicians and interviewing on national TV. None of us realized that this would be happening, but really nothing was sure. Nothing was sure what was going to happen. And just with working hard and we have a really, really great team dynamic. The three of us work very, very well together. Um, And because of that, we were able to get to where we wanted to go. Yuval? I have a lot of personal things that guide me. I have like, you know, a bunch of sayings, right, going through my head. But uh, one of my favorite ones is just like uh, 1% better every day, right? All you have to do in life is just 1% better every day. It doesn't matter for yourself or for, for others. It doesn't matter to be a better 1% better to your other half, your family, your, your cause, whatever it is. Just 1% better. Amazing. Yeah, and I'm sure with this effort, it's 0.01% closer each day because things are slow. But, um, you know, looking forward to hearing you, what you guys do. And I, I was thinking about this on my morning run. Yuval Perry, maybe because it was a politician with the last name Perry, it sounds like a, a minister, like Minister of Health, Yuval Perry. It just sounds good. Josh, not so much. I'll have to work on that for the future. But I'm, who, who, who am I to say? My name in this country is Gustin. It sounds like the window washer from like <laughs> the barbershop downstairs. Like it's an awful name in English. It's even worse in worse get, in Hebrew. I, I also have the same issue. I, I get called Goosh sometimes. Yeah, it's not the best. But that's the what, J that, that's any any uh, parent who named their kid with a J name and then their kid lives or works or goes just whatever, don't make Aliyah. Just stay in yeah. America. Just stay in America. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So guys, thanks so much for joining, and we look forward to posting you. about your uh, efforts and fight, and we wish you all the best. They left, off to college classes and meetings and off to bars with friends and weekend bike rides in the country that they arrived to as teenagers years ago. The country they served as men and the cause of Israel and the quest to pursue it with idealism that they now face as Lamed Vavnikin. On my way to my next interview, I stopped for a moment. And, for the first time, in a long time, I gave in to the idealism. Only for a second, I promise. What could the world be if we saw it as Josh and Yuval did? And then the cab driver honked. I'm late to my next interview, but the larger realization was just on time. And then, a few months later, Josh WhatsApped me. The protests against the housing ministry succeeded. The Ministry of Housing had stopped freezing rental assistance for lone soldiers released from the army. Thousands of released lone soldiers would begin receiving retroactive assistance for the months missed. And they would continue receiving it moving forward. And I wondered, maybe it's the idealists that should be deconstructing me. 
I hope you're enjoying the season of 36. We only have a few more episodes left in season one, so be sure to tune in, tell your friends about us, and if you can, rate us wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is hosted by me, Justin Hayat. Our managing producer is Sarah Shemla. Our executive producer is Attila Samfalvi, and our editor is Robert Scarmuccia. This is a production of Soul Shop and sponsored by B'nai Zine. Please rate and review this podcast in your podcast app of choice and share it with your friends, your butcher, and your shadchan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon. Soul Shop.